Welcome to Dairy Stream, brought to you by the Dairy Business Association and Edge Dairy Farmer Cooperative, sister organizations that fight for sensible dairy policy in Wisconsin and Washington, D.C. Dairy Stream focuses on issues affecting the dairy community and our customers. Hi, I'm your host, Mike Austin. Well, today on Dairy Stream, we're going to be talking about a topic that really covers not only what's important to you, the producer, but also those of you that are involved in the business of agribusiness. And we have a very good man on hand. He returns with us here on Dairy Stream, and that's Sam Miller, Managing Director of Agriculture at BMO Harris Bank. And uh, let's begin, Sam, by talking about the 17th Annual Global Farm to Market Conference that was held back in May. And really a very interesting program. There's a lot of interesting uh, elements there that we want to dissect. And I know you focused on a lot of different topics. I mean, it was on the food value chain and things like agribusiness, fertilizers, ag chemicals, food and beverage, even cannabis, I know, is on the list, along with retail distribution and the grocery and restaurant segment. And that's a lot to cover. So I just want to start out with you. If you could pick out three focus areas that you feel you spend a majority of the time on and really is worth sharing during our conversation today. Sure. Thanks a lot, Mike. Uh, great to visit with you again in the in the Dairy Stream audience. Just a, a couple more comments on uh, on uh, BMO's Farm to Market conference. It's it's really a, a great opportunity to bring together both public and private companies, uh, the investment community, people who are interested in the space to talk about uh, all the things going on, literally literally from farm to market. And there are a number of different tracks that that people uh, uh, can take in, uh, but it's a it's a great opportunity to uh, to hear from the companies themselves, uh, senior management as to what's going on. To answer your question, main focus areas uh, shouldn't be a surprise. Supply chain at the top of everybody's list, and we can get into some more details as to what that what that means. Inflation. Uh, I don't think there was a conversation. Um, that uh, that that I uh, viewed that didn't talk about inflation and, and what that meant. Global disruption. Obviously, it's related to the other two topics of supply chain and, and inflation. But you know, the war in in Ukraine uh, and and the sanctions that have uh, have been imposed and the disruption that that's created. Uh, and a, a tangent on that that I think again we'll we'll get into in a bit more detail is uh, food security or food insecurity. Um, and then I just add a fourth one, and that is the whole uh, concept of uh, ESG, environmental, social, and and governments. All right, and yeah, we're going to get more into that as well. Matter of fact, we're going to focus on that particularly uh, after our break. But I do want to get back to the other three you were talking about. And first of all, supply chain. I mean, it's been hitting almost every industry. And be I a farmer or if I'm an agribusiness person that has a service to agriculture, how difficult has that supply chain been and what impact has it had over the last 18 months to two years? Yeah, that's, it. It, again, a very, very good question. I mean, you have to go back really to the beginning of the pandemic to see the supply chain issues um, start to develop. I mean, when the, when the pandemic hit and um, many economies of the world shut down, and you know we closed whole sectors of uh, of our 
economy in in terms of uh, food service and and sporting events and and uh, conferences and conventions etc well that really impacted the the whole supply chain because all of a sudden you uh, you backed up a bunch of supply and and things weren't moving and then we had to shift into new channels or different channels you know instead of uh, consuming some meals away from home we consume far more at home that went through the retail and the grocery channels and then eventually you started to see food service open up back to in-person conferences sporting events and the like and you had to to refill that pipeline well in the midst of that different countries of course have adopted different standards as to how they wanted to handle the pandemic and and uh, as americans we buy a lot from china there's just mm-hmm. no doubt about it so when they lock down entire cities uh or or areas that has the um result of backing up um shipping capacity and then that ripples through the entire food chain uh the entire distribution chain so it's not just the ship but then it's the ports and then it's the drayage from the ports to the warehouses and then it's picking it up at one warehouse and getting it moved to the distribution centers for uh whatever goods and services you're talking about whether it's foodstuffs or not not foodstuffs doesn't matter it all goes through the same process and then you've got to get it transported into the the retail outlets or in the case of Amazon, through you know, right to right to your front door, uh, through FedEx, through UPS, through the uh, U.S. mail, and all of those systems have had stress. So it's about logistics, it's about supply, both availability, and it's about demand, and all of those things uh, kind of coalesce uh, to to create a pretty messy. You know, it's kind of like when I get the Christmas lights out, uh, Mike, they're all they're all jumbled up and it takes me a while to kind of unwind it. And Mm -hmm. that's part of what is going on, I think, with the uh, with the supply chain, because you can't just uh, start pulling on one end and and fix that issue because it has rippled through a whole host of other areas. Sam Miller is our guest. He's managing director of agriculture at BMO Harris Bank, and we're talking about their 17th annual Global Farm to Market Conference that was held uh, earlier this spring. And in particular, we're talking about some of the topics that are still having an impact. Matter of fact, he's getting so much response, they're even calling him at this moment. But right now, uh, we do want to talk, I still want to talk a little bit about uh, the supply chain and especially those people now that say to you, Sam, well, you know, yes, we understand what the pandemic did. And, you know, for a lot of us, though, we feel COVID is in the rearview mirror. How do you respond to those kind of comments? Well, it, it may be from um, from an attitude standpoint and, and case counts uh, and the like, but it's got a long tail on it because when we had shortages in uh, in certain products or areas, what's the natural response to that? It, the natural response is, I don't want to get caught like that again. So. Mm-hmm. I'd like to build up some more inventory. I'd say we move from a just-in-time inventory system to a just-in-case inventory system. So let's have a little bit extra supply on hand. And what does that do? That means that you're pulling that demand forward. So it's not just what you normally would buy, and I don't care who you are, It's whether it's a, a farmer uh, buying products that uh, that they consume on a daily, weekly uh, annual basis, they're going to want to have a little bit extra 
just in case they can't get it when they need it or the retailer the wholesaler all the way through that that process you layer on top of that the cost of fuel and moving moving things the availability of uh, of truck drivers uh, semi-truck drivers in particular, and it has really tightened up the entire supply chain. So uh, even though the the uh, a lot of the issues of, of COVID are behind us, we still have a, a ways to go in order to get the system um, operating on a smooth basis. I also talked about global disruption, and that continues to make the headlines, obviously, the situation between Russia and Ukraine, and there's other parts of the world that we have some concerns about as well. Just combining that with one of your other focus points, and that's inflation. How big a role has global disruption, you know, added to our inflation concerns? I think it's it's added quite a bit to it. Um, it normally, inflation is uh, is driven by a couple of things. I mean, um, the, the real quick definition is too much money chasing too few goods, right. and most. Um, consumers, most companies, and partly because governments have uh, have injected cash into the system, there's a lot of cash that's available. You couple that with COVID and wanting to get back to a bit more normal, we wanted to catch up on some things, and whether that's goods or services in particular. So you, you have high demand, that's one of the things that's, uh, that's driving that inflation, but we also have supply disruptions. And the supply disruptions have, have occurred partly because, like I said, the logistics of getting things from one part of the world to another part of the world. But then more recently, with the global disruption, with uh, uh, Russia invading Ukraine, NATO countries, many other countries uh, have put sanctions on, on uh, Russia and Belarus in particular. And what does that mean? That means that, uh, that those products aren't available for sale and that's driven up their cost the the two most notable areas are in are in energy and crop inputs the amount of natural gas and petroleum products including refined petroleum that comes out of russia all of a sudden you took a big demand source uh, from europe in particular out and that has the impact of raising prices for everybody around the world when you look at fertilizer uh, that's an even bigger impact. I don't think we've farmers have felt it as much this spring as they're likely to this fall and next year, because Russia and Belarus combined equate to about 40% of the of the potash exports uh, in the world, and a significant portion of nitrogen fertilizer also comes out of out of Russia. So, if the American market and the European market can't buy that product, that means that they've got to source it from somewhere else, and that's going to drive prices up for everybody. So that's the global disruption has had uh, an exacerbating impact on inflation. When you talk about inflation, you know, the, the U.S. Uh, uh, Consumer Price Index, which is our broadest measure of inflation, you know, is is in the eight, low 8% range. Well, for, for, nit- for fertilizers, it's more like 200% to 300%. So uh, it's had a, a very big impact, particularly upon the agricultural sector. Yeah, I've been watching some charts on that. I know farmers that are listening to this realize that, yeah, potash is not going to be slowing down anytime soon, and that continues to rise. And I know that's one of the many concerns that they are wanting to see addressed. And obviously, I'm something we're going to be talking more about how these 
disruptions and supply chain and inflation is all affecting their bottom line as well. And getting back to inflation, when you talked about uh, on the whole, it's still in single digits, but many of us remember back in days when it was double digit. And I'm not asking to be a swami or so, but do you see it trending that we're going to see double digit inflation before anything turns around? You know, it, I, I'd say on that global, that headline number, uh, Mike, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm of the personal opinion, this is again, just Sam Miller's opinion, that I don't see it spiraling out of control like that. I okay. think that uh, that it's it's likely as the some of the supply chain issues are abating. They're not back to normal by any stretch, but that's what you have to watch for. Is it getting worse or is it getting better? And, and that part is getting a little bit better. How can you tell? Well, container rates to get uh, transported across the Pacific are down from their peak levels. That means that that some of that those inflationary pressures are coming out of the transportation sector. I think the the one thing that's going to probably prolong it longer than uh, than it should have is the cost of energy, and that's really has a lot to do with the with sanctions on Russia. You know, the U.S. is is producing about as much uh, petroleum products as as they had at the peak, but we're still missing some product that that had come from other countries and, and Russia in particular. Uh, and I don't see the worldwide energy petroleum industry ramping up production because they don't know how long this thing's going to last. You know, it's a long-term investment to increase um, pumping capacity and refining capacity. So you don't make a decision based on a, on a short term. It's, it's like uh, you don't buy farmland for a high price when the price of corn spikes in in a year right right you need that to be sustainable over a longer period of time and i think that's the, the similar analogy so again again sam miller's opinion i don't see us getting um big runaway inflation i don't think you're going to see us get to get to double digits we're going to chop around where we are now but you already see the fed taking cash out of the system you see them raising interest rates and that's all to help try to bring that inflation rate down. There's only so much that the Fed can do in that regard, but they're starting to pull the levers that help um, to make that happen. Well, as you mentioned, that is Sam Miller's opinion, but I regard it rather highly. So I think you can take that as good advice. Sam Miller is our guest today, Managing Director of Agriculture at BMO Harris Bank. So getting back to you know the list that was covered and the concerns that you raised, what, in your opinion, is the biggest concern now and into the future? What's the number one thing they're really focusing on? I think that it's uh, partly it's the rising costs. We have a demographic uh, issue in well, the the demographic issue is different depending upon where you are in the world. If you look at Asia, Europe, by Asia, really, I'm talking about China, Japan, Mm -hmm. uh, Europe, and the U.S., we have an aging population and a, a lower rate of, uh, of new entrants into the workforce. So that means fewer workers. That's partly why we've got a labor issue problem in, in this country. And the same issue exists in, in Europe and in um, Japan, not so much in, in China, but you know they're very quickly heading that way. Versus in Africa, India, where you've got growing demographic trends, and they've got uh, you know plenty of labor force. In some of the other countries, you, they don't necessarily have the same 
uh, types of economy. So we have a little um, difference of, uh, of how our economies are going to operate. But getting back to the U.S., labor rates have gone up. And even if inflation comes down, as I expect that it will in, in future years, labor rates are not coming down. So you're going to have a higher embedded cost system already built into the system. And I know this is the same case uh, at, at the farm as well. I've talked to our clients about, about that very issue. They know that that cost is going up. They expect that you know their fertilizer price eventually is going to come down. Their fuel price is ex eventually going to come down. But their labor rates are not going to come down. So um, that's one of the biggest ones that, uh, that I think, um, uh, regardless of the, the company, it's a major issue. Well, Sam, in particular, then for a farmer, just on the last topic we were talking about, if that is not going to come down and we're continue to have that labor as, as an issue, especially when it comes to cost, what advice are you giving them? How can they better prepare? How can they better plan to try to, you know, watch that hot rising input costs and maybe even the cost of if they have a bigger operation of the employees on their farm? How do you deal with that? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, first off, you have to have um, somebody to operate the business. So that is a cost of doing business. I mean, the, the only comfort you can take is all of your co counterparts have the same issue. So labor costs are going up for everybody. It's not just on a farm by farm basis. Now, having said that, what do you have to do about it? So what, what we're seeing um, from our farm clients, and you know, I heard this a lot from uh, the folks at, at the conference is they're trying to invest in efficiency, flexibility, resiliency, and automation where okay. possible. Um, and those are the keys. And so um, some of that may be, I think about it at, at the farm level, that may be technology, you know, where you can monitor each individual cow and not have to monitor, you know, by, by the group. So, you know, whether it's a, an ear tag, you know, they, they swallow a bolus that, uh, that tracks activity. And then you've got the, uh, the data collection that's going on and you can pinpoint uh, what you want to work on. That's an example of trying to invest in efficiency and flexibility. And you can then target um, from a herd health standpoint. Some of the milking parlors are, are adopting either, um, you know, pre-prep or, or post-milking uh, automation systems. And that's another thing that can, uh, can be either labor-saving uh, or improve um, employee welfare, improve the, the employee experience so that, uh, that you keep and, and don't have uh, as high a turnover rate. So those are just a couple of examples that I can think of. Um, and again, tie that back to uh, to what uh, I heard at, at the conference, it's the same issue. The amount of automation uh, and investment that's going into companies of all types and sizes has increased because labor cost and availability is a challenge. You're listening to Sam Miller, Managing Director of Agriculture at BMO Harris Bank. And we've been talking about their 17th annual Global Farm to Market Conference and some of the things that were discussed back in May. And Sam, a couple of things that we haven't brought up here on Dairy Stream yet, but I still think as farmers and maybe as an agribusiness owner, I'd want more insight. And you said some of the other topics that were 
covered in particular were, you know, shifting consumer behaviors, the elasticity of demand and food security concerns. Uh, what are those and how are they being addressed and how should they be addressed? Yeah. So um, it, it's interesting because I've listened to uh, Kroger as an example, as a grocery retailer, pretty, pretty right. good example. And they are seeing a, a, a real difference in their consumer base. There's a part of their consumer base, none of them like higher prices, but they've had to pass through higher prices at the grocery store. Uh, so what they're seeing is with their more affluent or the people that can afford uh, food, it's not as you know dire of an issue uh, for them. They see that that there's they're buying more ready to eat, ready prepared meals because they're a bit fatigued by doing all the cooking at home, and it's a cheaper alternative than uh, going to a restaurant. Right. So that's one example where they're seeing okay, we can add convenience and value uh, in in that regard. At the other end of the spectrum, those that are really tight on budgets, they they said that they noticed on payday grocery sales go up, and then you know, on the weeks that it's not payday, uh, it's just buying for what you what you actually need. And in that case, there's a big shift toward private label and uh, buying a low cost, lower cost alternative uh, product. So I think that's a, an example of how consumers are acting during this particular inflationary environment. General Mills was another um, uh, presentation and they are selling to the Kroger's of the world, right? And uh, they indicated that they've had three price discussions in the last 12 months. Normally, hmm. it's once a year yeah. when you when you get the kick at the can to, to uh, raise prices. And so let's just juxtapose the two of them. General Mills said, you know, we really didn't get much pushback uh, because everybody understands in the system that costs are up, that prices are up, that there's inflation there. On the on the other side, Kroger said, yeah, we've had to absorb, you know, those some of those higher prices, but we are questioning why what's driving it. You know, let's get down to what is this price increase and why is it? And we're going to keep track. And if and if those um, costs go down, then we're going to be back to you to say time to lower that price. So as an example, let's look at at uh, milk. You know, nobody talked about milk, Mike, but I, I just think it's a pretty good example since uh, our dominant audience here are uh, is are in the dairy industry. Right. Well, the April milk price for this uh, past year was the third highest milk price ever, you know. So that means that dairy products throughout that whole chain are going to be higher priced based on the on that milk. At some point in time, you just look at the futures market, it will be lower. So when that portion of the cost uh, comes down, I think you can expect that real retailer to say, okay, time to take some of that that uh, price increase that that uh, we put through at a lower at a lower point, and I think you can see that ripple through the in, entire chain. Uh, another prime example is uh, is the transportation cost. I mean, most companies are are putting fuel surcharges on because of the higher cost of petroleum, diesel in particular, and. I don't think anybody expects that we'll run at these type of higher diesel prices uh, forever. Um, so it it's expected that that is another cost that is likely to come down in the future. And I think you'll probably see some pressure to, to lower prices uh, back down versus the other ones, which, like I said, when your labor cost goes up, 
that's not coming back down. The For parts and equipment, if you've got to buy those or you make an investment in uh, automation or some other type of technology, that's a fixed cost at that point in time. So you can't see the price come off on that. But that, I think, gives you a pretty good idea of what's going on uh, through that, that whole system. The last comment you asked about was was on, on food security. Correct. And that's a big question. That's a big uh, point of discussion. And is it still getting the beat? I didn't mean to interrupt you, but yeah, yeah that was my concern. Uh, I, you know, on listing priority wise, is this still on the higher echelon when they talk about a priority among these businesses? It it is. It is from a couple of aspects. Number one, it is just the human tragedy of food insecurity on a on a worldwide basis. Mm -hmm. It is less so on a US basis, even though it is it is a question mark on a US basis, but it's a bigger issue because of the uh, inability to move product out of Ukraine and the ripple effect that that has had in, uh, in both on a direct basis because you now don't have what traditionally they were selling into the global market. And most of that went into Middle East, North Africa. You'd, so so that displaces it. And then the secondary impact of that is other countries have said, time out, I got to make sure my people are fed. So India puts on a, a wheat export ban. Indonesia puts on a palm oil ban. And all of a sudden you pull that supply out of the world market and it raises the price for everybody. Doesn't matter if you are buying from those countries or not, the price goes up for everybody. So it's a it's a primary and a secondary impact. And then the third component of it is back on the input side. You you need inputs in order to get output. So if uh, fertilizer is not available, whether it's potash, nitrogen, phosphate coming out of Russia, Belarus, will we have lower yields on a worldwide basis and exacerbate? the food insecurity issues that that uh, exist in our in our burgeoning. So that's where the concern comes from. It's both a it's a little less direct in in terms of America, but it's a big big issue uh, worldwide. And Mike, when we have food insecurity, we have change in governments. Mm -hmm. If you look back to, to 2011, the last time that we had food prices um, this high, that's when uh, Libya, North Africa, uh, you know, including uh, Egypt and, and uh, Algeria and other parts of the Middle East uh, changed governments. And once uh, once you break a government like that, it takes a long time to kind of get things back. So that's part of the other concern with food insecurity is will it create a further uh, disruption to, to the market as a whole and um, and bring bring the rest of the economies uh, down with it? Well, if you're joining us today on Dairy Stream with an appetite for information, I think uh, our chef today is filling your palate with a lot of great information and uh, yeah, it's given you about a seven course meal already and we're only halfway done. So uh, stay with us. Sam Miller is our guest managing director of agriculture at BMO Harris Bank. We're talking about the 17th annual global farm to market conference and some of the topics they discussed, uh, what are the priorities among those in the world of agribusiness and how they impact you as a consumer and you as a farmer. And we're continuing discussing that right here on Dairy Stream. And we'll be right back with our Dairy Stream podcast after we hear from our sponsor. <laughs> 
Because of the cyclical and sometimes volatile nature of the dairy industry, it is critical for producers and agribusinesses to have a reliable financial partner they can rely on through unpredictable business cycles. Our agriculture specialists at BMO Harris Bank are well-versed in all facets of the food continuum. From inputs through retail and distribution, they are ready to provide the financial solutions that will allow you to improve your cash flow management, minimize your risk, and capitalize on growth opportunities. To learn more about how we can help, visit bmoharris.com backslash agriculture. Well, Dairy Stream is brought to you by the Dairy Business Association and Edge Dairy Farmer Cooperative. I'm your host, Mike Austin, and today we're talking about the 17th Annual Global Farm to Market Conference, which was held back in May. And we've done a pretty good job thus far of dissecting some of the topics uh, that they covered, some of the concerns that are coming out of uh, the business sector, even concerns among the consumers, but also how they relate to you, the producer. And when Sam Miller was our guest, the Managing Director of Agriculture at BMO Harris Bank, he talked about really three or four concerns that he had and issues that really seemed to draw a lot of interest. And one of those he mentioned was ESG, which stands for Environmental, Social, and Governance, which continues to be a priority as Grower do try to figure out how to uh, monetize more sustainable farming practices and better integrate with the downstream of the food supply chain. And Sam, why don't you talk a little bit about that, where it stands and how important that really is for agribusiness and agriculture to focus in on. It's interesting. Most uh, most companies have talked about ESG. It recent weeks it has increased in terms of activity or conversation, partly because the Securities Exchange Commission, which really oversees public companies, they have a couple of rules that are draft rules out for comment at, at this particular time that deal with this topic. And at the end of the day, what uh, what they're proposing is that public companies should disclose what their climate-related metrics and risks are. And why does that impact farmers, as an example? Okay. So, there are three primary scopes that they're looking for. Scope one is the direct climate-related metrics and risks that a company has. So, you know, what is their energy source? Uh, what are their emissions? What's their environmental impact? That's scope one. That's direct. Right. Scope two is indirect. So if they're buying electricity from their local utility, what are their emissions and what are what's their carbon uh, index score, et cetera. And then scope three are indirect impacts of business activity from those that they buy from and sell to. And that's where it gets down to the farm level. So okay. if a farmer is selling milk to a, a company, even if it's your, your local co-op and it's not a public company, ultimately that dairy product is probably getting sold to a public, public company and the public company is going to be asking those questions. So it's the indirect impact that that is uh, is coming uh, to the farm. And that is the, the question mark, you know? So what are the, what are they going to be looking for? They're, they're going to be looking for what practices what uh, what types of things is anybody within that chain doing in order to to manage their environmental impact and and emissions in particular so that's the first part of it the other thing is esg there's three components to it e stands for environmental s is social and g is governance 
So the environmental part, there's been a lot of uh, talk and activity about it. About At the farm level, it's about methane. It's about fertilizer use. And, and there are some very positive things that I think that uh, agriculture and uh, farmers in particular are, are going to develop out of this. Uh, switching to social. Social, and I think this is a place where farmers can really shine because that, can, that includes animal and employee welfare. So the protocols that a farm operation has are very important. I think it's something farmers do well, and they just need to showcase that to stakeholders. So I think that's a, a, a really an area um, that uh, that can be a, a positive. And then on, on the governance side, that's less of an issue at the farm level because it's really how are you owned and who are the stakeholders that, that are owners within that system. And and most farms, even though they may have a, a corporate LL or LLC structure, are family-related farms, family-owned farms, and, and, and the G part is, is uh, less of an issue at the farm level. So I think there's a a number of areas. As a part of that, part of the discussions, that, which I found very interesting, is about food waste and trying to reduce food waste. As an example, I, I sat in on a conversation with uh, a controlled environment agriculture. That's what they call it. I call it a greenhouse. Okay. okay. So mm-hmm. greenhouse. And um, this particular company grows lettuce in urban areas. And their whole focus is on if I can grow lettuce using less water, less fertilizer, and less land, and also less fuel because I'm growing it closer to where my customer base is, that's that's a big win for uh, the environment, for the local uh, folks. In addition, because we grow the bulk of our lettuce in this country in Southern California or Arizona. Right. It's got to go on a truck all across the country and waste levels are much higher. So the example is about 10% of the product that comes out of out of Arizona and California ends up getting thrown away and, and goes into a landfill. And guess what? That produces additional methane right. versus coming out of a greenhouse. But there's very there's a lot less waste that happens out of it because it's not sitting in the transportation system for a period of time. So that's, I think, a pretty good example of of how some of these things can happen and, and, um, and how ESG can be a, a net positive. Obviously, that is a high value crop lettuce. It's not something you're going to see a lot of uh, farm operations doing, but I think the lessons that we can learn from that can be helpful. I think about the dairy industry and a lot of milk production is local as well. You know, that's the nice thing about it. If it's fluid milk, it's almost all local. It, it less so, of course, in uh, in our core upper Midwest market where much more of it's in a processed product where it's uh, cheese or butter. But again, you're concentrating that 100 pounds of milk into 10 pounds of cheese and, and that can be a more effective food mile then at that point. So if I'm a producer today that wants to go into the future and hopefully the next generation of my family can continue, you put a, a lot on the plate here, but I guess basically they can draw out of this sustainable farming practices have to be adopted. They have to be enhanced and maybe even have to be creative. And, you know, you look back 10, 15 years as an example, you didn't see that much land that had cover crops. Now it's becoming a trend that more people feel that they need to do. Is that the direction you expect to see agriculture heading? I, I think it is, but I think the piece that's that's missing out of that, Mike, is what's the economic incentive that also goes with it? And that's the 
that's the holy grail. That's what everybody's trying to figure out right now. Part of this is going to be table stakes. If you want to sell to somebody, you're going to have to be able to, to demonstrate you know, what your practices are. But the other part of it is this can be a, a win-win type of situation. So I think agriculture has a high possibility and probability of being accretive, of being helpful toward uh, carbon reduction goals. Right. Mm, right. Um, growing things you, it does that. And uh, regenerative agriculture is uh, is, I think, a component of it. But on the livestock side, same thing. I mean, boy, there are a lot of uh, farm operations, dairy farm operations that are looking at renewable natural gas projects. And, and right. that can be a very, very uh, positive uh, for the environment and positive for that farming operation. So I think there's a there's a whole host of things. It, you know, fertilizer companies, I was amazed as uh, I said in on the nutrient conversation, and they're working on an ammonia plant, to you know, which would uh, produce ammonium uh, fertilizers that will be 90% less carbon intensive than than their existing plants. How? Don't ask me. But hmm. um, that's what they're working on. And they believe that they have very um, achievable goals. In fact, they, they mentioned that, you know, they already have a 40 percent uh, offtake agreement with uh, Mitsubishi to buy that product. Really? Because, huh. Yeah, because that then lowers Mitsubishi's carbon intensity. So these things can get related. And at the end of the day, farmers can be an important solution and have a revenue stream that comes out of it as well. And before we move off this subject, you and I off microphone, we're talking about the fact that not only at this conference, we said just another dialogues and conversations you have talking about the fertilizer industry. They're really kind of bullish on the farm community, aren't they? They are. Um, you know, they they see it. Nobody would put a run rate on it, but at least two or three years they see as a, a strong farm economy. But most of them have said, you know, back to that point we had in the first half of the conversation about investing uh, for the short run versus the long run. Uh, they're investing in capacity because they see that the ag cycle is likely to continue. A component of that is it's both a supply and demand driven uh, issue. Part of the supply side we haven't talked about is some of the weather events. Right. You, know, you look at a couple of back-to-back -back years of drought in South America. It's dry out west in the U.S. and it was and has been for, for several years. That's got an adverse impact. It was dry in India, which is one reason that they had a reduced wheat crop and and have decided to try to keep that at home. So that means that it's it, don't expect your fertilizer prices to come down uh, substantially anytime soon. I guess that's the the bottom line. But the other side of that is because they know that farmers have to also make money. They see that the uh, commodity prices should have some strength as well. Sam Miller is our guest, the Managing Director of Agriculture at BMO Harris Banks, talking about the 17th Annual Global Farm to Market Conference, which was held back in May, and some of the impact dialogue they had during that time and how it impacts you as a company owner, as a consumer, and as a producer. And just one point, getting back to something you mentioned earlier when I was talking about uh, sustainability and farming practices, you did mention the big E, and that's the economic impact, and it's got to make sense there. What about and how does this affect uh, individual farm family when we talk about companies that have to basically respond to their, you know, their shareholders or stockholders on the cash returns they have? How does that impact the farmer as well? And how might that change what they do? 
Well, I, I think the real question is because prices are high and companies have have made some money, what are they doing with it? And then how how does that impact farmers? The way I would characterize that, it, Mike, is is uh, look at what they're doing with cash, excess cash. Right. And fertilizer companies, I think, are the prime example, right? Because they have been able to to uh, sell product uh, at a higher cost than it, it had cost them. If you're talking about potash and phosphate, which are extractive industries, you're mining them. You know, yes, their labor costs are up, but pretty much at everything else is already kind of a fixed investment, right? And so right. They're, they're making more money. So what are they doing with that? They're doing a couple things. One, they're investing in additional capacity. They're investing in automation, like we talked about earlier. They're um, making sure that the e- equipment uh, that they do have is up to snuff uh, and uh, provides for resilience. And then they're looking at more dividends or stock buybacks. Okay. okay. Taking that to the farm, I think it's the same the same kind of analysis. You know, milk prices have, uh, have been pretty high this year. The cost of have gone up. But frankly, you look at uh, the forages that uh, that you're feeding your dairy herd today, you are feeding last year's expenses, which were much lower than they are right now. So margins, what we're seeing are stronger, are are, um, are pretty good at the farm level. So what, what should farmers be doing? Looking at the same thing that I talked about with the companies. It's number one, invest in working capital. So making sure that you've got any accounts payable cleaned up, that you're taking discounts if they're being offered, that you're paying down your line of credit. And then uh, next, it's making sure you have a strong balance sheet to build resiliency. And then it's looking at what type of automation or upgrading of equipment do I need to do in order to be uh, resilient and flexible uh, for when times are not as good. And then the next thing is on the returning uh, cash to to shareholders in, in terms of dividends, Mm-hmm. Take a nice vacation. Do something with the family, right? I think those are some other things that uh, that I think uh, farmers are doing. It's we went through a pretty difficult, you know, seven or eight years in the dairy industry, and now it's been pretty good. So let's let's make sure that we're prepared for the next down cycle. I'm telling you, there will be one. I don't know when it's going to be. So the the key is let's get prepared for it. Well, Sam, I appreciate all your insight and all your candor. And as always, it's been an enlightening conversation. I just want to go back to, you know, some of we discussed in the first half and even part of our discussion here. And that is, you know, how are companies managing through the challenging inflationary and supply environment? And maybe you can just top this off talking about how they're trying to balance that when they talk about their strategic plans, both in the short and long term, and then pass that down to the farmer as well, what they should be doing to get through these big challenges and then prepare short and long term. Sure. That's a mouthful, Mike. <laughs> it is, isn't it? <laughs> um, first off, companies, you know, with a higher inflationary environment are, are they're, number one, they're passing along the cost. That's right. a lot harder for farmers to do. I mean, it's Correct. almost impossible for farmers to do it, but that is what is happening right now. Um, but what, what else they're doing is they're adding suppliers. You know, part of the issues, part of the inflation is because the second part of, you know, too much cash chasing too, too few goods is the too few goods. So if we have uh, seen many companies that have been put on allocation, you know, they weren't able to get everything they had. So they've got to find additional 
suppliers. They've added resiliency. They've added um, some redundancy. They, uh, I told you, they moved from the just-in-time to the just-in-case system. So Correct. building up a little bit of extra surge product and supplies. Automation, again, is a big one. A data collection and analytics. And this is something that I think farmers can really uh, take a hard look at. It's you can't make decisions if you don't have the data. So investing in data collection and analyzing it and then making it actionable. I think that's a, that's a big key. Another one that, that companies are doing, if they had a hole in their, their process, buy somebody. Try to fill that hole. Mergers and acquisitions. We see the same thing at the farm level. As an example, with improved uh, dairy prices a couple years ago, uh, one of our clients said, you know what, um, I'm tired of waiting for the the manure handler to come out and uh, and pump me out in the fall. They bought the equipment and the, added the system internally into that business. At the same point in time, they said they looked at their custom um, harvesting and said, I think we're gonna get rid of our chopper and move to a custom harvester. So now that worked for that particular farm operation, somebody else may find a very different local dynamic and make right. a very different decision. But it's that kind of analysis that you, you can go through where I think you can really bring it uh, down to the farm level. And then another one a lot of companies are doing is diversifying their revenue sources. We've seen that grow substantially in the farm community. I mean, I can't tell you how many dairy producers are, are in the beef business. Correct. Right? And that is another way to, to, uh, to capture some, some additional revenue to make you a bit more resilient and, uh, and survive on the long-term side of things. Well, Sam, I made you work hard on this podcast, but I appreciate, again, all your answers and uh, all the information you shared. Uh, again, ladies and gentlemen, this information came out of the 17th Annual Global Farm to Market Conference, and Sam Miller has been our guest, the Managing Director of Agriculture at BMO Harris Bank. And I'm going to leave you with this one last question, because I know you're pretty good at reading a room. So after the conference and the different individual and group conversations you have and looking at the map ahead of us, are did you leave the conference feeling more optimistic or are you more concerned? And then why? Wow, that that is a great question. And um, I will tell you, Mike, the answer is yes. All right. More optimistic and more concerned. I somehow thought you might say that. Yes. And and part of it is a short term versus long term. Mm -hmm. um, and part of it is what will happen. Okay, what do I mean by that? So optimistic, I mean, the, the part of the of the uh, farm to market space that I play in is on the farm side. And right. these are these are good days at the farm side is is difficult. I'd rather have to have um, the, the challenges we have to deal with when milk prices are high, you know, or for my crop farmers when crop prices are high than when they're low. Okay, so that that is what helps um, provide some of that optimism. The concern part is, okay, now I got a I, I got a crop in the ground this year and should get a, a harvest out of it, but then I'm going to have to plant something next year. What are my input costs going to look like? What do the prices look like at that point in time? And that's where some of that concern uh, comes into play. And the other side of it is, it's that global disruption that we talked about. Is there going to be a resolution to Russia, Ukraine? 
will China save a rattle in Taiwan? Those are open questions, and that could totally change the, the dynamic. So I think the interesting thing is, one thing the pandemic taught us is, you got to be ready to change on a dime. You have to, um, we've done a much better job of planning, building in some uh, resilience and some other ways to do things and adapting to what gets thrown at you. So that's a good muscle to, to uh, exercise. We have to be ready for the unknown, for the unexpected. And I think that's where the, uh, the concern uh, side of that comes from. Between the two, more optimistic. I tend to be more optimistic, and and uh, I I think we're uh, we, there are good good days ahead of us. And that's the way you've always been, and that's why I've always liked you. So maybe for some of the rest of us, we see those scales right now being somewhat balanced, but because of question marks, maybe pushed a little bit more toward concern. But I'm glad to see that you still push that scale a little bit higher on the optimistic side. And I think we'll all have that. And after listening to this conversation, some of the ideas brought to the table and some of the options we have, hopefully even with those question marks out there, uh, we now have the roadmap to try to hit more profitability, and keep moving forward. Again, we spent a lot of his time, and we thank it for it. That is Sam Miller, the Managing Director of Agriculture at BMO Harris Bank. We thank you for listening as well. I would be remiss if I didn't mention the name Joanna Guzzo, who is our outstanding editor and also uh, the person that produces uh, Dairy Stream. And we thank her for all the great work she has done in the past and we know she'll continue to do in the future. And again, I know your time is valuable. Thank you for spending it with us. And we again ask you to uh, listen down the road to more additions and we'll keep you informed and hopefully somewhat entertained as well as we talk about this business we call agriculture. For Dairy Stream, I'm Mike Austin. The Dairy Business Association and Edge Dairy Farmer Cooperative would like to thank you for listening to Dairy Stream. If you enjoyed listening to our podcast, please subscribe and rate Dairy Stream. We value your feedback. And if there's something you'd like to hear, just email us, podcast at dairyforward.com. 